another year. And that puts us closer, one more year closer to the coming of the Lord. And so I'm looking forward to his coming back. The world's in a mess. I think he'll do a better job of, uh, after the tribulation is over, of course, he'll do a better job for us of uh, governing the world. And uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 9 tonight. And we'll talk about another beatitude. And these beatitudes are actually characteristics of those who will be living in his kingdom when he returns to set it up. And uh, those of us who have trusted Christ as Savior, since we're going to be in that kingdom and we're already living in his spiritual kingdom at this present time, I believe these beatitudes will help us to be uh, better at understanding what he expects out of us, where we ought to be spiritually and practically uh, in our lives right now. So in Matthew... Chapter number 5, in verse number 8. I'm sorry, in verse number 9. <clears throat> Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We'll read it one more time. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not just those who have peace, but those who promote peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Father, we pray that you'd bless us in this time we have to study thy precious word. Lord, I pray that you'd turn our minds up a notch so that we can be listening and receiving that which you have for us. Lord, help our hearts to be receptive and Lord, help us to retain what we've learned. So many times we, we learn things from you and from your word and then over a course of time we Allow those things to slip a little bit. And so I pray that you'd refresh our memory tonight. Lord, refresh our acquaintance with the Word of God. And Lord, may the Spirit of God take these truths deep down into our heart that we might be affected by it for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Andy of Mayberry tried to be a peacemaker uh, in one of his episodes. Uh, you remember Andy, Andy Griffith show and Barney Fife and all of them. And... Uh, and there was a couple in Mayberry that neighbors had been complaining about. That couple was just always yelling at each other, throwing dishes, bad-mouthing each other. Married couple, but man, they're just always disturbing the neighbors. They're just going at it all the time. So Andy decides he's going to use some psychology on them and, uh, <clears throat> and get them to where they treat each other better and talk to each other right. And so he has several sessions with them and and uh, gets them, forces them basically to say sweetheart and dear and honey and, and, uh, and good morning and nice meal and things like that, trying to teach them just to be nice to each other. It was painful for them at first, but he kept going at it until he got them where they, they were willingly talking to each other very nicely. And then suddenly they, the rest of the townspeople noticed that this same couple is treating their friends very badly. They're just being real jerks, you know, crabby, mean-spirited to all their friends. They're getting along as a couple really good, but they're mean to everybody else. And so then Andy decides his psychology didn't work very good, and uh, his peacemaking just transferred the hardship from one place to another. And so he went back over to their house and got them mad at each other again, so they'd start yelling and throwing dishes at each other, and everybody lived happily ever after. 
<laughs> now, I don't think that's what the Lord Jesus had in mind when he's talking about being a peacemaker. I think Andy might have failed at his effort, but the Lord does want us as Christians to be peacemakers. And if we were... To, I just made my own definition up because that's what the guys that write dictionaries do. Uh, see how this fits. Peace is a tranquility prevailing in a time when there are no active incitements, turmoil, battles, or attacks meant to destroy amiable associations between certain parties. In other words, the different parties are getting along with one another. That's peace. And that could be said of organizations, families, church members, people on the job, you name it, wherever people get together, uh, when there's not a... a, a a turmoil going on, when they're not at war with each other, there's peace. And we'll learn more tonight about being peacemakers because this description of those who are blessed, it describes those who not only experience peace in their own lives, but they make it their job to minister to others to help bring peace to irritable situations. And so we're talking about peacemakers tonight. Let's let the scripture describe for us a little more fully what is involved in peacemaking. Notice first, let's just talk about the peacemaker in, in general at first. And we're going to talk about a, a, a vertical association. We're associated as Christians. We're associated with God on a vertical level. We're down here. He's up there. And we're associated with him by the new birth. And in, in our text verse, in verse number 9, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. When you're saved, you're born into the family of God, you are a child of God. But in Colossians 1.18 through 20, it says this, And he, Jesus, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now stop right there just for a moment. When it says that Jesus had the preeminence, that means he's supposed to be number one in our life. He's supposed to be number one in everything that we think and do. Our plans, what we, we live for. We live to please him first, and then, because that's on the, horizontal, or on the vertical level. Then we'll take care of the horizontal later. Then he says that Jesus had the preeminence, verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Watch this in verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So before we got saved, listen, before we got saved, we were enemies with God. We were enemies against God because we... we fell in the Garden of Eden through the federal head of our family, the human family, Adam, fell. And so that relationship was broken uh, when man fell in the Garden of Eden. You and I inherited that sin nature. And so we are enemies of God. We're, we're, we split fellowship. And when you have a fallen nature and you're not saved, you actually work against God, whether we realize it or not. The Bible even says that we are of our father, the devil. And so the devil, would you agree with me that the devil is the enemy of God? And if we're, before we're saved, we are of our father, the devil, then that would make us enemies too. But in this verse in Colossians, he says that Jesus, through the blood of his cross, made peace with us. Thank God I'm not his enemy anymore. <laughs> Thank God I'm his friend. I'm his brother. 
I'm his son. And then he says in, in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and 25, being justified freely of his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And so for the folks, maybe some folks are watching uh, on the internet and you've never been saved. I don't mean to be ugly, but I'm just telling you the truth. The scriptural truth is uh, you're the enemy of God until you get saved. And so if you don't want to be the enemy of God, you trust him as your savior and then his blood covers you, puts the robe of righteousness of God. The, Jesus' righteousness is placed upon you at the moment of your new birth. So I'm glad to be in this vertical relationship with God that I'm just not his enemy anymore. But then there's another kind of, of peace that we're supposed to do besides introduce people to Jesus Christ. And I, we ourselves uh, associate with him in fellowship. There is this horizontal level of, of peace. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been crossways with anybody? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Been at odds with somebody? Get in an argument? Got mad at somebody? Quit speaking to somebody? <laughs> Just quit having anything to do with it? Go to law, court with people? I mean, it happens every day. There's courts are in full session. And so we have these horizontal associations where God says... Uh, through his son Jesus, that we are to be peacemakers. Now, we've received peace with God, and the closer we live to him, we experience the peace of God, and that kind of peace we want to pass on to others. Now, we can pass on this peace with God by winning others to Jesus Christ, but then relationships, these horizontal relationships, sometimes people get at odds with one another, and guess what they need? They need somebody to be a peacemaker. Somebody that's going to have a cool head and a Bible and try to reason things out. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Let us reason together. We're, if we're going to be called the children of God because of our peacemaking, then we have to use his word and use his methods, and he's a peacemaker. Isn't Jesus called the prince of peace? He's the prince of peace. And so if we are to be like him and be called his child, then we are going to be doing the same thing that he, he does. We ought to be a reflection of him. And so in these horizontal relationships between people, uh, if we're spirit-filled Christians, we're going to be walking at peace with pretty much everybody around us. Now, that doesn't mean that there's never something going to go haywire or somebody's going to mug you on the street. doesn't mean that there's not going to be war between countries. But it does mean that the general idea is that God wants us to be peacemakers. And in the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 13, verses 7 through 9, do you remember what happened in that situation? Uh, Abraham has got this huge, huge herd of cattle, and so does uh, his nephew Lot. And they're living together. He brought Lot out of the, the land of Ur of the Chaldees when he came up to the promised land. And so they're living there close, 
close proximity, but their herdmen begin to fuss with each other, and they're getting mad at each other, and somebody's claiming this ground, and another one's claiming this ground, and so they're, they're at odds with one another. They're mad at one another. And so what does Abraham do? He says, let's don't fight. Lot, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You look over that way and see if there's some land over there that would support your cattle. And if you like that, well, you go over there. That's fine. We just don't want strife between us. What's he trying to do? Trying to be a peacemaker. He said, or if you look over this way and you think that land looks better, you go over there. You pick whichever one you want. Abraham was being a peacemaker. He knew God. And this is just an example of what God expects out of his children, that we learn to be peacemakers. There was a survey made in the last few days right on the edge of my property. And my neighbor, and we've always got along good, he said, uh, I asked, I said, did that survey come out the way you expected and happy about it? He said, well, it wasn't exactly like I thought it was going to come out. He said, he said, a little bit different. I said, well, it looks like... Uh, it looks like it's over on my side a little bit further than I wanted it to be, but uh, that's what the surveyors say it is. It's pretty close. I said, it's, it's within a foot of, of where I thought it was. And it, it's just a, crunching me in a foot more than I thought it was. But I said, no problem. Uh, we'll get along just fine. A foot of ground ain't worth me fussing with and go and try to find another surveyor come in. There's been two surveyed already and so no use getting enough. I mean the, the GPS probably doesn't lie and so uh, I mean they could make mistakes but if two of them got the same line I'm going to say that's probably right and so I'm not going to fuss over a six inches or a foot of ground. Who cares? We be brethren. That's what Abraham said to Lot. We be brethren. We don't need to be in strife and so let's just make peace. You go that way or you go that way and I'll take the opposite side. Well, that's the way God wants us to operate. Moses, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, Moses intervened when he saw the two Hebrews uh, fighting there in Egypt. And he was a young man. He went over and he said, boys, y'all not be fighting like that. What's he trying to do? He's trying to make peace between them. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. We ought to try. Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. Now you know how Joseph's brothers treated him, right? Those guys, they sold him and they put him in a pit, listened to him squall while they were eating supper, and then pulled him out of the pit and sold him to the Midianites going down into Egypt, sold him into slavery, and eventually ended up in prison before he became prime minister of the land. And when he got to be prime minister, he had the power. He could have executed all of his brothers and got even with them. But he said, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, you might have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He said, through your dealings with me, even though it was painful, through your dealings with me, God has put me in a place where I can save my family and all of my brethren from Israel. I can save them from perishing in the famine and everything's okay boys everything's okay and he took care of his brothers instead of getting even with them he, what was he doing he's been a peacemaker these examples just illustrate individuals who actively resolved to settle conflicts do you know people where you work that ever get in a conflict and could you and now there's places where we don't want to stick our nose in uninvited 
for sure. But if we have the opportunity, shouldn't we as Christians try to help people get along better together? If we've learned how to get along, God expects us to help others to get along. Peace should always be our first avenue in situations that could get out of hand. Now, the other party may say, I don't want to have peace with you. I want to have nothing to do with you. And it may be out of your hands. Somebody may do like uh, Hamas and some of the other terrorist groups and Iran or, or yeah, Iran. They may, have, they may be like them. They may say, no, we don't want peace with Israel. We want them dead and gone. <laughs> That's what they're, the, the terrorists, the Muslim terrorists say, we don't want peace with Israel. We want them expelled, dead, and out of the world. <laughs> well, what are you going to do in a case like that? It's out of your hands. So what does it say in the New Testament? Romans 12, 18 says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That's the kind of peace we're talking about. The kind of peace that if it's possible to be at peace with somebody, we give it a good try. And if we can help two brothers, two sisters, or two of anybody, if we can help them resolve their conflicts, then it seems like God's saying, boy, You'll be called a child of God. Peace is such a precious jewel. This is what Matthew Henry said. Peace is such a precious jewel that I would give anything for it but truth. Huh? What's he saying? You can't compromise the truth. If somebody wants, somebody says, well, preacher, look, I would join that church and, and I'd be a tithing member and I make uh, about a million dollars a year. And if you'll just start using the modern version of the Bible instead of that old King James, we could get along okay and you'd have a lot more money in your church. Well, I want to have peace with that brother, but not to compromise can't go that far. Truth. What, what does it say in Proverbs? Buy the truth and sell it not. So there is a limit. God wants peace with everybody in the world. But there is coming a day of judgment. A white throne judgment one day where God's exhausted all of the, his uh, plans to try to draw people to him and be forgiven of their sins and be born into the family of God. But one day he'll say, okay, that's it. I've tried it. You resisted? Now comes the judgment. And there'll be no recourse for them at that point. As much as life in you is. By the way, speaking of Iran and the terrorists and all of that, I, I think the United States would be way better off to keep their nose out of Israel's business. And if Israel wants to wipe out Hamas, leave them alone. Let them do it. Because they're never going to have peace in the Middle East before the second coming. I can promise you, according to the word of God, that it's not going to happen. We are not to seek peace at any cost. It ought to be our first endeavor to try to have peace. And it ought to be our first endeavor to be peacemakers, to try to bring about peace between different parties that are having a rough time getting along. But we ought not to have peace at any cost. That means where you're giving up the truth. DEI. You know what it is. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
our universities, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and most of the rest of them, even the state colleges and so forth uh, across the nation, are, are mushing forward into DEI. Now, it's beginning to, they're beginning to see that there is some drawback. There are a few drawbacks to it. But the opponents of DEI, and I'm one of them, the opponents say there's nothing but reverse discrimination, including everybody. Well, like if, if you're of a minority race and you go to apply at, at Yale University and they say, no, I'm sorry, we can't take you in. We have limited enrollment. You're white and you're male. We don't have a slot for you. Black woman comes along and says, oh, yeah, we can take you. Come on in. That's what DEI means. Uh, or on the job, maybe you're very well qualified for the job, but you're just not the right color, ethnic background. You're not diverse enough. I mean, you're just ordinary a white guy. And you might be the best one qualified for the job, but this means that we can't pick you because we've got to pick a minority instead. So is that not giving preferential treatment? And when they say we're looking for social justice, are they not violating and being hypocritical in their own right? <laughs> They're saying we're not going to, we only want people of this race, this background, from this origin, this religion, but yours is the wrong one. <laughs> Reverse. The reason I mention that is because that's causing more division in our country than it is unity. In every family, there needs to be unity. In every church, there ought to be unity. On every job, there ought to be unity. In every nation like the United States, there ought to be unity. But we have a bunch of nuts in charge of our country, and it's getting worse and worse as years go by, where they have an ideology where they want to enforce upon you their ideals. And if if you don't agree with their ideals, it's just tough luck. <laughs> they push you out. And they call it diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they'll include anybody but you. <laughs> well, that's the way it works. We're saying don't, don't fail to be a peacemaker. But don't be a peacemaker at any cost. There is a limit. For instance, parents... When, when your child throws a fit, they're having a tantrum to get their way. And, I mean, it's causing a big ruckus, and the household is in an uproar. I mean, they're screaming and yelling, and everything's going haywire in the house. And to bring peace, you say, okay, honey, I'll give you what you want. Do we want peace at any cost? If you don't train them when they're little, your battles are going to be a lot bigger later on. Because if they're used to getting their ways, they'll want it when they're a teenager and they'll be big enough you can't do anything about it at that time. Susanna Wesley had a total of 19 children. Ten of them survived infancy. And she was intent on raising her children for the Lord. And uh, she's still yet considered by those who know her and have read about her to be an exceptional mother. She said, and this is a quote, don't give a child everything they want. 
and nothing that they cry for. Let me say that again. Don't give a child everything they want and nothing that they cry for. Well, that sounds harsh. Well, pick your battles. And if you pick that battle earlier before it gets out of hand, it'll be a lot easier on you. Hebrews 12, 11 says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. In other words, you may have hell on earth for just a little while, but that's better than having hell on earth for 20 years. Amen? So first we see the peacemaker described, and then next after the peacemaker, we're going to see the, I don't know if this is a term that's ever been said before or not, we're going to call him the peace faker. Peacemaker and then a peace faker. What is a peace faker? Well, in Genesis chapter 34, Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite deceived Jacob's family by suggesting peace and unity with the tribe that had, uh, had the son that uh, violated Dinah, Jacob's daughter. And they said, the father didn't seem to want to do anything about it. And the brother said, well, she's been raped and it's about time we do something about it. If dad's not going to do anything, we're going to do it. And so they go over to the, to the village where that happened and they, they, make, uh, they tell their father, let's make a treaty with them and we'll intermarry and do business and we'll just have peace with them. We'll just have peace. Well, that agreement was made, but it was made with ulterior motives. And when uh, nobody's looking, they say, well, they say, well, you know, uh, in order for us to make this peaceable agreement, we'll have to circumcise all the males. Everybody, even the adults, everybody's got to be circumcised or we can't have any interactions with you because we're Jews. And so when all the men are circumcised, it says when, when they were real sore and unable to defend themselves, then Jacob's son comes in and slays every one of them, kills them. So I call, him, call them the peace fakers. <laughs> they want to make peace, but it's deceptive. What about old Absalom in 2 Samuel 15? Absalom's wanted to steal the kingdom from his own father, so he goes out to the people in the country and he says, boy, uh, if I were king, I would do this and this and this. I'm your friend and, and boy, I'd treat you people right, you know, if, if I was king. And so pretty soon he's got all persuaded, you know, and he's making peace with all these guys and next thing you know, he's stealing the kingdom from his own father. He's a deceiver, a peace faker. When we try to make peace, for an ulterior motive of getting our own way, it's not what Jesus meant when he meant for us to be a peacemaker. We had a couple in our church. It's been years and years and years ago. We had a couple in our church that they would have affairs outside their marriage. They would have drugs. They would have knockdown, drag out fights in their home. I tried to counsel them and and, and they'd repent. <laughs> I put quotation marks around that repent. <laughs> they would repent. Oh, preacher, we're going we're gonna to do so right. Well, a few years later, after they had repented, 
and had stayed with us for another year or two. I found out a few years later, I got a call from one of them and said, huh, all the time you thought we were doing right, we were still doing all those same old things. We're on drugs and we're still fighting and we're still having affairs and we're still doing all that stuff. And they said it in a bragging sort of way, like we pulled the wool over your eyes, preacher. Well, you can pull the wool over the preacher's eyes. Probably not real easy, but I have been fooled a few times. But you never pull the wool over God's eyes. And these people were peace fakers. They were trying to make peace because they didn't, they didn't want to have to leave the church, but they wanted to go ahead and live in their sinful lifestyle. And so they faked the peace. Then there's a third one we'll talk about, the peace breaker. We've got a peacemaker, a peace faker, and now a peace breaker. What happened? Well, we, a lot of times we have family that's getting along real good and somebody breaks the peace. What, what about Cain and Abel? <laughs> I mean, this started early in our history of mankind. And Cain and Abel, they're out there working in the field. And, and next thing you know, Cain rises up and kills Abel. That's when they should have outlawed those guns, I'm telling you. I don't know what he used. I heard people say, well, Cain used a rock. Well, the Bible doesn't say he used a rock. It could have been a club or he could have beat him to death or choked him to death. I don't know. But he rose up against him nevertheless. He killed him. And, and it just goes to show you, if murder's in the heart, you can do it. You'll figure out a way to do it. I mean, you'll run over him with a car, poison him. Uh, Winston Churchill, a uh, woman that, in the government that always gave him a little rough time and he gave her a rough time. Uh, she said, Mr. Churchill, if you were my husband... I'd put poison in your tea. He said, Madam, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. <laughs> well, these are peace breakers. Cain and Abel were brothers. That's a pretty close relationship. And yet Cain felt the need to break the peace and kill his brother. King Saul and David. Remember the story about King Saul and David? Man, King Saul brings old David in and he really loves old David and David becomes a general in his army and he goes out and starts slaying uh, more warriors in, uh, in battle than Saul does and the women start singing songs and bragging on David and, and the Bible says that, that Saul eyed, the king, uh, eyed David from that day forward. Man, he was jealous, green with envy and man, they had peace at first but then jealousy entered in and Splat. Broke that peace. Peace breakers. The rebellion of Absalom will be another example. These instances just show how envy and jealousy can enter in even to good people's hearts and cause the peace to be broken. It can happen in marriages. That's why we need to cultivate our marriages. Are you listening? We need to cultivate our marriages because nobody, nobody is above the possibility of having problems. It can happen, even in good marriages. And so, you got to make up your mind. I'm going to start every day off being the best husband or the best wife that I can be. I'm going to be the best child in this household that I can be. I mean, we're not talking about doing it in an arrogant way or saying I'm better than somebody else. It's just that we're going to cultivate that relationship. And... Keep it working for the good all the time, and then the, the deceiver will have a harder time working his way in. And then finally, let me bring you the peace 
pattern maker. <laughs> I was struggling trying to find one that would rhyme when I came up with this. The pattern maker. Notice that in the last part of our text verse, chapter 5, verse 9 of Matthew, blessed are the peacemakers. Now notice the second half. For they shall be called the children of God. How is that so? Well, we established at the very beginning that God is a peacemaker. He sent his own son to die on the cross to make peace with the sinners of this world. God always reaching out, trying to establish peace. And if we're going to... You ever notice how children are a lot like their, their parents? The old saying, the, the acorn doesn't fall very far from the tree. Now, if you're a Yankee, you would call that an acorn, but here in, this, in the hills, we call it acorns. <laughs> like an old sow find an acorn every once in a while. The apple don't far, fall very far from the tree, meaning that the son is going to be a lot like his dad. Well, in the case of Aaron, I turned out to be nice and he didn't, but other than that, it's usually true. Apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree. And if you're, if you're a child of God who is a peacemaker, you're blessed. And the Bible says you're a reflection of God's character. He is a peacemaker. And if you go around and you're known, you have the reputation of being a peacemaker, then you'll be called a child of God. That person is, boy, he's a lot like his heavenly father. He's a lot like his Lord. He's always trying to bring peace. She's always trying to bring peace. Well, you can't always win at it, but you can try. In the Bible, there are some peacemakers that are pattern makers. Jesus, I'd say he was one, wouldn't you? <laughs> he brought in the blood to take the place of our sin. What about Paul the Apostle? He emphasized the importance of peacemaking. In Ephesians 4, 3, he urged the Ephesian church to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. He talked, Paul talked a lot about unity in the church, the unity in the Spirit. Paul, was a, he was a peacemaker. He was, a, he was patterned after the Lord he had seen. Remember, he's, he saw him. He saw him on the Damascus Road when he gave his heart and life and soul to the Lord Jesus. And then when he went into Arabia to be trained at the... At the feet of the Lord, we don't know that it was a physical appearance, but we know he was in contact with the Lord because he said that man didn't teach him what he found out. God taught him. And so he was in contact with the Lord. He was a pattern of the Lord who called him and commissioned him to be the great apostle. Peacemakers in the Proverbs. In Proverbs 12, 20, it mentions that, that those who promote peace will have joy. If you promote peace, you try to heal broken relationships between other people, the Bible teaches that you'll have joy because of it. The Bible doesn't always explicitly state that people are the children of God for this reason. But it seems pretty obvious. Jesus said it, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I had a friend decades ago. He was in the same church with me. And you know what thrilled him? Instead of bringing people together, you know what thrilled him? 
he enjoyed getting two people. He'd get, he'd get one off to the side and he'd say, you should have heard what he said about you. Man, he doesn't like you, you know it. And then he'd go over to this other guy and he'd say, let me tell you what old brother Brooks said about you. And he'd go back and forth until he'd get two people mad at each other and fighting with each other and then he'd laugh about it. He thought that was funny. I don't think that's what the Lord had in mind, do you? When he said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. This guy was a troublemaker. And he, he grew up in a family, a large family, had lots of brothers and sisters. And, and I think it's something that somehow got cultivated in their family. They enjoyed getting each other in trouble. And it was a fun thing for them to cause two people to get mad at each other. And you'd be surprised at the number of people that enjoy doing that. I think that's a, what's at the heart of gossip. Trying to lift ourselves up when we talk about that person for one reason or another. Makes us feel bigger. And then if we go over and talk to this person about that person, man, that lifts us up even better because we squash them both down then. That's what gossip does. Peace is precious. It reduces stress. When you have peace in your own heart, your blood pressure is going to be lower. You're just probably going to live longer. And you're probably going to enjoy life more because you've got peace. And once you have it, it's like discovering a fountain of youth or a cure for cancer. You've got it. Now you want to pass it on to others and help them get it. So you should have heard what... You should have heard what Joshua said about Brother Lloyd. No, wait. I ought to be saying, you know, I think Joshua's a pretty good guy. Brother Lloyd ain't too bad. <laughs> we ought to kind of try to heal the rift and put them together because when we've experienced peace, it brings more peace to us when we can help others find peace in their conflicts as well. Those who are involved regularly in trying to make peace between others were known as the children of God because we reflect His peacemaking role. God's a peacemaker. Be like the Lord. If people have conflicts, seek out somebody to be an arbitrator. Find somebody you believe will be fair. That's what Paul was promoting in the Corinthian church. He said, man, some of you guys are going to court with each other and before lost judges. He said, have you not got some spiritual people in your midst that you can call together? See, I really, I'm, I'm so old-fashioned, I really believe that if we have a rift between a couple of people in our church, I really believe we could, we could get together and maybe, maybe get three or four guys or ladies together and say, let us be the arbitrators and instead of going to court to settle this before unbelievers, Let's just do it the Bible way. We'll sit down together. You tell your side of the story, and then you tell your side of the story, and let us pray about it, and let us take the wisdom of God from the Scriptures and see if we can't heal this thing and come to an agreement without having to go off over yonder to some lost judge and jury. Wouldn't that make more sense? That's what the Bible promotes. I mean, it seems outdated, but it's biblical. We could actually do that. We could actually have a little panel get together in our own church of spiritual people who've got some wisdom and love the Lord and love the Bible, and we could have them to sit down and hear somebody, two sides, present their case and say, here's, here's what we believe we ought to do. 
what you guys ought to do with each other. And if we can settle it that way, you never have to go off over there to the court and let them do it. I believe God wants us to live peaceably and to be peacemakers. Let's pray together. Father, I believe that you have given us this passage of Scripture to help us to have unity and, Lord, just a sweet spirit within our midst, in our families, on our jobs. And, Lord, just help us to remember these things that you have spoken so clearly in your word as the days and years go by. Lord, help us not to, not to go back to just doing things the world's way of wearing a chip on our shoulder and just looking for a fight. But, Lord, help us rather to be peacemakers. Let us have peace in our hearts, and, Lord, help us to pass it on and promote it. We pray you'd bless us in this invitation time.